If you enjoy studying the Bible, but have grown frustrated looking for solid content you can trust, welcome to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study each day, five days a week. Every Monday, the team at Get Fed Today posts five hand-selected sermons from a vast catalog of reliable Bible teachers for you to enjoy on your commute, to and from work, during your daily walk or run, or that hour you spend working out. Please note, Get Fed Today only posts content that is already available for free on the internet. Nothing about this ministry is monetized, and a few costs associated with hosting the podcast have been covered by a single benefactor. In fact, Get Fed Today is a volunteer ministry run by a team of Christ followers who love God's Word, enjoy good Bible teaching, and genuinely want to make it as easy as possible for their fellow brothers and sisters to get fed today. All you have to do is subscribe. For quick links to the podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, simply visit GetFedToday.com. And again, that's GetFedToday.com. Here in Jeremiah, if you don't know, Jeremiah was a prophet to the city of Jerusalem and the area there. Nebuchadnezzar came and basically took over the city. He led most people captive. He left Jeremiah there with a remnant of people. This guy, Gedaliah, was the man he put in charge. He places the governor of the area. And there was a guy named Ishmael, give me a little background here, who was basically sent from another king who wanted to do Gedaliah harm. This other guy, Johanan, who was a Jew, came to him and said, hey, look, this guy Ishmael, he's no good. He's going to do you harm. Gedaliah said, ah, we get along. Don't worry about him. So Ishmael came and murdered him, along with uh, a number of other people and some Babylonians and 70 worshipers that had come, and a few escaped by giving some lies. He, Ishmael, then takes a whole bunch of the leftover remnant captive, and he's leading them away, and this guy, Johanan, comes and rescues them. The guy, Ishmael, escapes. But they're basically left in the scenario now where Nebuchadnezzar, who's just come and destroyed the city and set up his own governor, has left. And that governor is immediately murdered in a conspiracy and other Babylonians are killed. So it doesn't look really good. So this guy, Johanan, is left with this remnant of people from this area of Judah and Jerusalem. And they don't know what to do. So this is kind of the background of what's been happening. And their decision is, we're going to go to Jeremiah and we're going to talk to him. So that's where we are up to chapter 42, verse 1. It says this, Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Korea, uh, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you. And pray for us to the Lord your God, for all this remnant, since we are left but a few, as many as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. So their decision is about staying where they are or going to Egypt. And Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, and indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you, and I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you. 
that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. So here we see these people in a tough position. Um, they're trying to decide what to do. Do we stay here? We could have just made Nebuchadnezzar more mad. What if he hears about this? What happens? They haven't really planted crops. God has provided some uh, for them, but they're nervous. Or do we go to Egypt? Do we leave here? Do we go to Egypt? And we, do we try to receive basically safety and set up our lives there? So they go to Jeremiah and they present themselves that we're seeking God's will. Uh, they present themselves as objects of compassion. We're just a few people. We're just a remnant left. Look at who we are. Uh, God should have compassion on us. And they basically say, just tell us what God says. And no matter what he says, whether it's pleasing or displeasing to us, good or evil in our sight, we'll do it. If, if I could put it in the modern day vernacular, just saying we just want God's will. We just want whatever God tells us to do, we will do it. We only want God's will here. Uh, and what we're going to see in this group of people that come uh, are some principles, I think, that are important in regards to a person who wants to find God's will. Uh, and that is how these people are presenting themselves here. Now, verse 7. And it happened. After 10 days, so it doesn't happen immediately, they don't get an answer back right away, that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he called Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people, from the least even to the greatest. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you up, uh, and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand, and I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. So here we have Jeremiah's um, response. He comes back to the people. He calls them all. The greatest to the least, it says, that the important people don't get the information while the, the less important people don't. Everybody he brings together. And when he has them all there, he puts forward very directly, here's what the Lord has said. The Lord says not only what his will is. It's not just a yes or no. You notice that? God doesn't just say thumbs up, thumbs down. And they're like, okay, I guess we got to say or we got to go to Egypt. He, he doesn't do that. He tells them what his will is. But even more than that, he speaks to their hearts and he speaks directly into their fears. You notice that? He says, here's, here's what I know you are afraid of. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon. And you are afraid of him. Don't be afraid of him. I'm going to build you up. They were probably thinking, we're going to have to rebuild our houses, right? There's practical things to this. We're going to have to rebuild the city. We're going to have to rebuild walls. We're going to have to defend ourselves. Can we do that? I will build you up. We're going to have to plant our crops again. What if they don't grow back? What if, what if we don't have any food? What if we die in the winter? I will plant you down. God, God is basically not only saying, here's what I want from you. 
but he's giving them his will and he's speaking to the things that they're afraid of. He's bringing comfort into it. He doesn't only just tell us in a cold type of way like, hey, here's what I want you to do. Here's not what I want you to do. He speaks directly to them, knowing the types of things that would cause them to fear his will. Not only that, look at verse 13. He says this, but if you say, we will not dwell in this land. Notice, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there. Notice there's a decision to set their faces that direction. Then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So it shall be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there, and they shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. And you shall be an oath and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach. And you shall see this place no more. So not only does God answer them, he gives them his will. He gives them his, his will and he comforts their fears, the things that would cause them to be afraid of enacting and obeying his will. And then he admonishes the heart that would want to walk away from his will. He warns them. He says, here's what's going to happen. If you decide to go to Egypt, I am bringing, God knew what was going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar, historically, is going to go to Egypt and defeat Egypt. What you literally fear you're going to escape here, you will find that in Egypt. Before he has said, if you stay I will give you mercy, and I will even cause you to have mercy through Nebuchadnezzar. The king of kings promises his mercy to you. But if you refuse, if you set your face to go to Egypt, all the things you think you're escaping are going to find you there. If you rebel, notice again, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt, if you disobey he says in verse 13, the voice of the Lord and say, no, I am going to go this direction. He said, you're going to find the hardship that you thought to escape. And I think there's a couple important truths right here for us. The, the first is this. When God's will comes to them, as Jeremiah is speaking to them, it's clear enough that it has to be rejected by willing disobedience. Do you see that? It's not something they have to think about or question. It's not a mistake. It's a 100% willing choice. This is stubborn unbelief. And I think that's important because there's a lot of times we fear what we don't know when really we should be fearing to ignore what we do know. And a lot of times we even use the word finding God's will as if it's something that we're going to miss, like it's a shooting star 
Or like, ah, oh, you know, I missed it. I was asleep. Or it's some type of mystery or God's actively trying to keep it hidden from us. Uh, when the reality is that's not that's not what we actually see in the Bible. We don't we don't ever have a person trying to follow God who misses out on the will of God by accident. They, they don't ever really have to find it. It finds them. As if if Moses didn't turn his face one direction, he wouldn't have seen the burning bush and it would have just never happened. Or, you know, Joseph, Mary's husband, didn't sleep that one night, so he didn't get the dream, so everything fell apart. Like, sometimes we, we think those types of things as if, oh, man, uh, you know, well, what if I miss something or what if this is what's going on here? That's not, that's not, God doesn't hold people accountable for something that they couldn't have possibly seen. He holds people accountable for turning from his will, though. He calls it disobedience, and he calls it them setting their faces to say no against him. I think that's important to see. And it's also important to see that the ease they think they find, God's warning to them is, he he wants them to hear this. No, 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 listen, he's admonishing them. The ease you think you're going to find by not listening to what my will is, you're not going to find it. All the trouble you think you're escaping by not doing the clear things that I've already told you, you're actually going to find the trouble by ignoring those things. It's going to come upon you. The famine that you were worried about, you're going to find in Egypt. The sword you were going to worry about, you're going to find in Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to find in Egypt. It doesn't get easier by ignoring the things that we do know in his will. And there's, there's, a, there's an idea that, hey, sometimes we, we know certain things about God's will and, and we fear to step out in it or we think there's some trouble in it, so we turn away from it. And there's always going to be a measure of trouble in God's will. There's always going to be some difficulty that we face here on earth. Now his grace is going to be with us, and he's going to be with us, and his power is going to be with us. But that's why Christ said, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Because in my Father's will, there was self-denial and a cross for me. And there's going to be something similar for us if we're going to follow him here in this world where he's been rejected. But he'll... He'll set his mercy there for us. If we turn away from that and we think we're somehow escaping the cross, a change in geography isn't going to save us from God's judgment. You're not somehow escaping the Lord by just changing positions here. And you're not making your life any easier, which is how you can self-deceive yourself. That's the classic story of Jonah. You you can't just go somewhere else on the earth. God's over the whole earth. So he's warning them, listen, I, there's inclinations in you. He knows to go a different direction. Don't do that. Now, verse 19, he's going to get right to the heart of the issue here. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. Notice this. God revealed this to Jeremiah. For you 
were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. They, they had a bit of a history. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place, notice, where you desire to go dwell. Here's, here's the real source of the issue here. Jeremiah gets right to the source of the issue. And he says the real problem is not that they couldn't find what God's will was. They thought their problem is we don't know what to do. Go to Egypt or stay here. And he says, actually, that's not your real problem, because that could have been solved very easily. Your real problem is you didn't actually want God's will when you came and asked for it. That's what your real problem is. When you came and said we would do whatever, you weren't, you weren't honest. You were hypocrites in your heart. You never actually intended. You already had a desire to do something else. Their problem was never the knowledge of God's will, just knowing what God wanted them to do. That wasn't the problem. It was a lack of, of a sincerity of heart. And their real problem was they hadn't repented of their hypocrisy and the hardness of their hearts. They hadn't been willing to admit that. It was a heart problem, not a head problem. That's why sometimes when we speak of trying to find God's will as if it's lost, we talk about it as if it's a head problem. But really, the main issue is always going to be a heart problem. Now, why do people do this? Who knows? Maybe uh, Johannan didn't want to seem unspiritual. Um, maybe he wanted to look like a good leader. Maybe other people pressured him into it. Uh, we don't know why people do this. What we do know is this. He always wanted to go to Egypt. And apparently he just wanted God's will to corroborate what his desires were. And that we have to be careful of because God makes it clear to his people here that whatever the reason, the knowledge of God's will and the responsibility to obey his will come together. You can't separate them. When he tells us what his will is, when he speaks to us clearly, we are now held responsible for following through on the things that he has spoken to us. And to reject that is not to just have missed it, it's to disobey and to walk in unbelief and open rebellion. So, the important thing, I think, is to say, okay, uh, we can't just seek God's will to see if we want to obey it, which is what we're often tempted to do. I hope it works out to the thing that I want it to work out to. And then when it doesn't, we try to justify it or fight, or we just say, okay, well, no, I didn't really want it. The, the, the whole point there is you never actually wanted what God's will was. You just wanted the two to line up. You really wanted your will. And the heart of a person 
who really wants the will of God is a heart that is sincere to obey, not a heart that wants to see if it wants to obey, which is where Johanan and these people were. So to have the type of heart that will keep God's will, that's what we're aiming for. If you want to find God's will... The real thing you should look for is, do I have the type of heart that really actually wants God's will when he reveals it? Because he will reveal it. He revealed it to people who didn't even want to follow him, let alone somebody who really wanted it. Jeremiah just went and asked for it, and God gave it to him. The proper time, he had to wait 10 days. But God gave it to him, and then he gave it to these people. He made his will known all over the place. The, the difference was not the head knowledge, but the heart reaction to it. And I think for us, you know, uh, one thing, and it's not always easy to measure that out, but I think one thing is, uh, how can I tell if I have the type of heart that wants God's will? Well, am I following God's will today, right now? Because if I'm not doing it right now, why would I think I would do it in five years or something? Or when circumstances are more challenging or more difficult or come with greater surrender. Like, like God didn't show up and say, okay, Joseph, look, you're going to be number two in Egypt. So just like buck up under these really difficult circumstances here. And Joseph's like, well, that'll be worth it. Okay, I'll do it. That's not how it works out. Joseph honored God right where he was. If Daniel didn't serve God right where he was when he first was brought to Babylon, we probably would have never heard of Daniel. The reality is they were surrendered to God's will, even in difficult circumstances, right where they were. And that heart continued on through the other places that they went in life. And we have to be careful about the type of attitude that would say, you know, well, maybe... Like, once I figure out what it is, then maybe I'll do it. No, no, no. Just right now today in your family, in your job, the church, your personal life, we all have things that we know are God's will. Are our hearts open to those things today, right here, right where you're at? Because that's a pretty good sign as to where you're going to be if you keep moving forward. These people, their heart was not open to what the Lord wanted. Now, what happens, look at chapter 43. Uh, this is what typically happens when somebody never truly wanted to follow the Lord in the first place. This is their reaction. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, all these words, that Azariah the son of Hoshiah and Johanan the son of Korea, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. This is like classic human character here. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, poor Baruch, he wasn't even involved in this, right? He was just a guy who honored God before. God gave him mercy with the Babylonians. Now they're trashing him too. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. You and your buddy are trying to get us killed, and you're a liar, Jeremiah. 
So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey, notice, the voice of the Lord, that's what God considers it, to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been driven, men and women and children and king's daughters and every person whom Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Achaim, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Tathanes. So here, how do they justify their willingness to disobey God's will? Well, they find a bunch of prideful people who agree with them. That's the first thing, right? They all get together. And these people feel like they know better, even when they want to ask God a question. So they find other people that they think have that type of attitude. And they, they gather those people together. Then they gang up on the trustworthiness of whoever or whatever God is using to reveal his will. Jeremiah, we can't believe anything you say. You're a liar. As, as if Jeremiah had a history of lying or something like that, right? This is a guy who, whose motives you, you couldn't even understand. Nobody would look at Jeremiah and say, why did you even stay here with these people? You could have left. Nebuchadnezzar would have honored you. Everything you said came true. There is, there is no bad history here, right? Sometimes people, uh, you know, you're, you're speaking into somebody's life or they ask you what God says and you tell them God's word and then they'll bring up some history that's that's real about you, right? Like, yeah, I lost my temper here. I mean, like you're, you know, I can't believe you. You're, you're this or you're that. They can't even say that about Jeremiah, but they do anyway. They just lie about him. They slander him. Whatever God is using to reveal his will, they just say it's not trustworthy. They slander his motives despite their own hypocrisy. They're the people who came and said that they were going to be like this and really they're the exact opposite, but they say, ah, oh, you're just trying to get us killed. Then they appeal to circumstance and human reason. You know, Johanna gets everybody together. He says, we're the captains, we're the guards. This is going to be dangerous for us to be here. I'm sure he said a lot of things that made a lot of sense to normal people in the practical level, right? You know, once, once uh, Nebuchadnezzar finds out that these guys got murdered and some of his own soldiers got killed, He's going to come back and judge us. we got to get out of here. If we leave now, we could probably plant crops. And they, I'm sure there was a lot of really practical things he said. He had a lot of influence, and apparently everybody follows his lead. And they all head out there. So in all of this picture, we find these people of God moving in direct unbelief and rebellion to God's will. And the question, again, is just... I think that's important here, is was the problem anywhere that they couldn't find what God wanted them to do? And the answer is no, that wasn't the problem. The problem was they never actually wanted what God wanted them to do. And it's very easy and I understand sometimes we're in situations where there's pressures that come or we have big decisions in life or things that are big for us in life or they might relate to our family or to our health or there's, there's things that come up or sometimes we have you know time limits where we have to decide certain things. 
And I understand what we say. All right, Lord, I need to I need to find what you want from me here. I need to understand these things. But I just think when the Bible presents it to us, the question is not like, am I going to be able to hear what God wants to say to me? Which is what we're often afraid of. The main question is, when the will of God does come to me, and it will come to me, however that is, is it going to find the type of heart that's ready and sincere and humble and obedient? That's the real question. Because Jeremiah was that type of heart, and he found himself in God's will. And he found mercy. Baruch was that type of heart, and he found himself in God's will, and he found mercy. Just what God promised to his people if they would have obeyed him. He, he will always give it to us. He will always make it clear. It, through the whole Bible, people got God's will. Even people over and over again who didn't want it, the people of Israel over and over and over again heard God's will. They didn't want to hear it. Shut Jeremiah up. Throw him in a well. Get this guy out of here. The prophets all through the ages, get these guys out of here. We don't want to hear it. And God still gave it to them. People who didn't even want to hear it. Ahab got God's will. Like God's will, he made what he wanted known. He made it clear to everybody. But the problem always came is once it was clear, now how do we respond? That's the real issue. And to say, all right, Lord, I, wanna, I don't want to have a stubborn will. I want to have a heart that when you find it, it's the type of heart that's bent to you, that, that will actually embrace your will, that will hear and listen and respond. So in kind of in contrast to that, I'll, I'll pause now for a second because um, they're, they're kind of the negative example of that. And the positive, I just want to give a couple quick New Testament examples. And one is just the disciples. We know these are people who heard God's will and they responded. When Jesus came and called them to follow him, they left all that they had and they followed Jesus. But one thing I want to say about them that I think is important is they weren't perfect. So walking in God's will, finding God's will, honoring God's will doesn't mean you have to be a perfect person. They were far from perfect individuals. But they remained close to Jesus, and they remained humble enough that when he corrected them, they would embrace that, and they would continue to follow him. And the type of heart that's a heart that will continue to walk in God's will that you want to have is not a perfect one, because we're never going to have a perfect one. But is it moldable? Can it be taught? They, they had all different types of thoughts, those disciples, when they began to follow Jesus, what their life would be like, how things would play out. I think it played out way differently than they thought, but also way better. Jesus didn't say when he reached them on the beach, hey, guys, the new Jerusalem, your name's carved in the foundation stones. It's going to be worth it. Come on. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, yeah, this martyrdom thing. Apostles. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't go through the whole story. He just said, "Today, drop everything you have and follow me." It was a big step. There, there were still things that had to get worked out in their hearts that didn't keep them from following Jesus. There wasn't one disciple who got left behind because he was hard of hearing. Do you notice that? The Bible doesn't say that. 
They're like, it's not his fault. He wanted God's will, but he didn't get it. He just couldn't hear. They didn't have hearing aids, and that was it, you know? We never heard about Stanley the disciple. That's that's not, but we think those things. We're like, but what if I, you know, what if he said something and I didn't hear it? And then that's not how it works. That's not nowhere in the Bible. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to keep following him. <laughs> you can't can't stray far from him. That's the type of heart that will find his will. I think Paul is a wonderful example of someone who walked in the will of God, uh, specifically because we have so much detail about Paul's life and specifically the things that God wanted from him and for him in life. Uh, And when we see Paul, I think there's three aspects that really pop out. One is this. There's a public aspect to God's will. And what I mean by that is this. It's the same for every Christian. God wants all men to be saved. It's not his will that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. And then when a person is saved, when Saul went to Paul, right? He was saved on that road to Damascus, and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? His heart's changed, right? All of a sudden, now he has a heart that is like, okay, what's your will? What do you want me to do? Whatever it is, you tell me. What do you want me to do? And the first thing a Christian has is like the same things that all Christians have. I'll tell you what God's will is for your life. Don't steal. Right? That's for every Christian everywhere. Thou shalt not steal. Don't commit adultery. Go make disciples of all men, teaching them the things that Jesus Christ has commanded us baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's for every Christian. There there are things that are for all Christians. That's God's will for your life. For you to pray without ceasing. For you to quench not the Spirit. For you to, there's all types of commands. Walk in the light. Walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's there's so many things that for all Christians everywhere, that's part of God's will for your life. It's, It's part of what he wants you to do very often today in those normal, everyday life circumstances. And he has a will that's public for all of us, and Paul gets saved and he begins to step into that. Then there's a personal aspect to God's will in the sense that there's a way that I do those big things that are for everybody. Does that make sense? So for some reason, it's God's will that I'm a pastor. That's part of the way that I serve him. Uh, Paul was called to do something specific. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul had a really specific thing that he was supposed to do. He was going to be an apostle. He was going to be sent to the Gentiles. And God said, Part of my will for your life is to suffer, to be an example of sufferings. Even Paul says, filling up what's left of the suffering of Christ. It's interesting. But that wasn't for everybody. All of us, you can read some of the things that happened to Paul, and then you don't feel like a Christian anymore. You know, you're like, ugh, you know, I was never beaten with rods. I was never shipwrecked. 
everybody doesn't hate me. I wasn't. Well, I've been robbed before. It's Philly, right? You know, there's you. But you read those things and you think, oh, you know, I could never do. No, some of that was specific to Paul. Paul was an example to believers of a life surrendered to Christ, even in the face of like really difficult hardships. So you could say, man, if God could help Paul there, He can help me here. But that was specific to him. So there's a point is he will show us and he will show you what your role is in his big plan for everybody in his kingdom. That's part of God's will for your life. But it's going to fit into the things that are involved for every Christian. But there's a specific way you do it. And he prepares you in that the way that he wishes That's why it's so important that you and I each day say, all right, Lord, what is your will for me right here? Because at first, Paul wanted to go back to the Jews, and that wasn't what God had for him. And he went back to Tarsus, and he was there for a while, doing we don't know what, really, until Barnabas came and got him and said, hey, I want to bring you to Antioch. I need your help there. And the ball started to get rolling. But he just served God right where he was at. I'm going to keep plugging along, Lord. What, what you have for me today, what's right in front of me today. I can't worry about the things, you know, Lord, I'm just waiting for the day I win the lottery, and then I'm going to be a philanthropist for you. I don't know if that's the way it's going to work out. I think you should be focused on right now. What is what is he, what does he want me to do today? How can I step into the things that the Lord has for me? It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Peter had to learn that lesson. Jesus is talking about Peter's death, and Peter points to John and says, what about this guy? Jesus said, what's that to you? You follow me. I got something for you, Peter. There's a public aspect to my will, but then there's a personal way that you walk that out. And when I speak to you about what that is, if you reject it, that's disobedience. And disobedience for me might look a little different than you on a personal level. And if I want to keep my personal relationship with the Lord vivid and conscious, then I better respond to the things he says to me personally. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem, right? And there are a lot of people who are walking around that feel like, oh, I'm distant from the Lord. I got this thing. It's because the Lord's like, because I told you to return that, that you stole from work. And you're like, yeah, but God, I want to talk about, you know, something else. And he's like, no talking to you about this i feel distant from the lord well of course you do because you won't talk to him anymore because <laughs> you are his child and he's talking to you about something and there's a personal way we live that out and then there's a practical aspect to it uh this is the part that we all kind of want to know maybe it would be better called divine guidance we want to be guided in the way that we practically do that from day to day like, how do I do that as an individual person? Paul knew what God wanted him to do publicly, personally. But how do I work that out? Okay, Lord, you're sending me to the Gentiles. You want me to preach your gospel. I'm going to teach them your word. I feel like that's my calling that you have for me personally. How do I do that? And this is where it gets really practical. How did Paul do that? Did he just sit around until he had another vision? Did he ride a horse around until he got knocked off again? Right? What did he? No. This is where it gets real. He used his brain. And he said, I'm going to go to, his, his tactic is very obvious, I'm going to go to big cities 
where other people have never been before because I don't want to build on another man's foundation. And I'm going to support myself by building tents. And I'm going to preach the gospel there and start a church. And then I'll let the people from those big cities go out and reach the other areas. And once I do that, I'll go to another big city, another big city. And then I'll come back and I'll strengthen the churches that I started. And that was how he did it. And Because he already knew, all right, God, I'm fitting into, there's this big circle and then a smaller circle, which is your personal call for me. Now I can, I can think, because you gave me a brain, and I'm going to use it, how I can live out your will right where you have me. And sometimes I do think we're a little too afraid to use our brains. Um, and I understand we can, we can self-deceive ourselves. And, you know, we, we always want to have a spiritual aspect. And the Holy Spirit can speak to us. But I think most of the times, like, you, you and I can just know what we're supposed to do. Uh, you know, we're, we use our brains the same way we use our legs. We don't think about, God, do you want me to use my legs when I share the gospel with that person? Right? You know, or use my hands. You know, no, well, those things are all God-given. Well, so is your brain. So you use that too. And, and you stay within his will that he's already revealed. And Paul, he did that. He had a general plan of how he would do this. But the problem was his plan sometimes changed, which was okay. Sometimes his brain didn't know everything that God wanted to do. So he was flexible when God changed his plans practically. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, I'll read this to you if you want to write it down, you can. Acts 16, 6 through 10, it says this, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you notice this here? This is, this is what Paul does. Okay, God's purpose in my life is to be a part of his public will for all Christians. There's a personal way for me to live that out. And my plans are to do it by traveling to these cities. But sometimes God changed the plans. Hey, Paul, your purpose is never going to change. You're always supposed to go preach the gospel. You're always supposed to make disciples. You're always supposed to baptize them. Those things don't change. You're always an apostle called by me. That personal thing isn't going to change. But your plans, they're all right. But sometimes you don't have as much vision as I do. So I'm going to change them a little bit. So it just says the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us go. doesn't give us any details. The Bible just takes for granted the Holy Spirit can tell you not to do something. Then we tried to go somewhere else, and the Holy Spirit didn't let us go there. And then, most people believe Paul got sick and he was kind of laying around for a couple days. A vision appeared, this guy from Macedonia telling us to come there. And he said, we concluded at that point the Lord wanted us to go to Macedonia. And the idea there is, if you want to know God's will for your life, you, can, you know what it is generally. And personally, somehow you fit into God's service. Maybe some of us need to figure that out a little bit more. It'll give us a little clarity because maybe personally we're not trying to fit into God's service for all believers. 
But once we do, we just use our brain. All right, Lord, you want me to share the gospel with people? So how can I do that? If you're not a good cook, don't invite them over and cook something for them. That's not using your brain. You shouldn't pray for miraculous skills there, right? That doesn't help. If you're handy, you should say, oh, maybe my neighbors need help. Lord, give me an opportunity to do that. Lord, who should I connect with? Obviously, the people at work or maybe my family. You use your brain. And if God wants to change the plans, he can change the plans. If you have a decision and you're trying to figure things out, you pray about it. You have your heart open. Lord, I want your will. You use your brain. And then if God needs to change your plans, he can change your plans. Now, the big problem is not that you use your brain. Your problem is, do I then hold on to my line of direction or do I allow God to change my plans is my heart still humble am I allowing him to redirect as Paul was redirected there and God will totally fine change your plans he doesn't say Paul you're in disobedience or you're in sin there were things Paul couldn't know so you know what God did he redirected him I'll help you you can't know this it's fine I'll speak to you And he will even do that in supernatural means. I'm not saying God doesn't use supernatural means. He most certainly does. And he can speak to us directly, personally. Now, some people are afraid of that, but he can. The Bible just takes it for granted. In the book of Acts, the Bible says in chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, when Peter had that vision let down, while Peter thought about the vision, he just had a vision. You would think he would know what to do with that. Nope. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, no explanation. Just the Spirit said to him, this is not a Bible verse. Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Holy Spirit can say that to you. Holy Spirit can tell you, like Philip, get out there and just start walking that direction. The Holy Spirit can speak things in your life. It will never be against the word of God. People are afraid of that because there's a lot of abuses, and there are. The Holy Spirit will never tell you, uh, go marry that unsaved person. The Holy Spirit will never tell you that. He will never tell you to start giving yourselves over to substance abuses or to steal from somebody or to hate somebody or to gossip about somebody. Right? The Holy Spirit will never tell you to do those things. And there, we say that because we know there are abuses of that. People will say, well, you know, God just told me that uh, I'm spiritually married to this person and not this person I'm actually married to spiritually. No, that's not the Holy Spirit. We know that there are abuses. But just because there are abuses doesn't mean there's not a real thing, too. And I think this is important. God can speak to you in supernatural means. He could give you a vision. He could give you dreams. He could speak to you directly. But he does that when we need it, not just because we think it's exciting or spiritual. Does that make sense? Most of the time, we follow his will as it's laid out in his word with our brains that he's given us, because that's part of what he's given us, and the clear circumstances he's laid out in our life. And then when there comes times that we couldn't possibly know otherwise what he has for us, he'll work spiritually. Paul? Come to Macedonia. You got it wrong the first two times. I'm going to help you with the third one. He's not in sin. It's okay if your plans fall apart sometimes. 
Uh, kids, because I do high school ministry, I always stress as seniors, you know, what if I go to the wrong college? I just tell them, then quit and go to the right college. Right? Like that's 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 okay. You can you can find out, oh man, I think the Lord doesn't have me here. Great. Go somewhere else. Parents are like, yes, yeah, a cheaper place. <laughs> right? That's our plans can fall apart sometimes. My purpose hasn't changed as a Christian. God's call to purity hasn't changed in my life. My call to be a witness hasn't changed. His hand hasn't changed. Like the there's sometimes just as humans, we don't we don't know all the details. And God's all right with that. He'll redirect us. And he will, through supernatural direction, when we need it, come into our lives and help us out. Um, So don't search for it. That's the problem. People go searching for all this weird supernatural stuff. They're like, oh, man, should I take this new job? Uh, God, send an angel to help me. And really, you could just ask, you know, your friend who's half spiritual, and they're like, oh, wait, your new job? You you don't make enough money to pay your bills. You probably shouldn't take that job, right? The 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 reality is, when God needs to give us something unique, He'll give us something unique. But I just trust Him in the process, and I move forward, and I believe that He will be faithful to direct me and to give me His will exactly when I need it, because He is. That's what we see. And I never have to worry about whether God is going to be a good shepherd or not. I never have to worry about whether he's going to direct me. I could give him time. I need to respond in faith. This is why Abraham was so remarkable. God's will is for him to have a son. Then he has a son. And God says, give him back to me. And he goes all the way until the last second when the knife is in the air. Because his heart was humble before God. I really do want your will. And somehow, even if this kid dies, you could bring him back from the dead. That's how much he trusted God's direction and hand in his life. And most of us are not going to be put in a situation that Abraham was. But we are going to be put in situations where that's challenged. doesn't matter how long you walk with Christ. Abraham had walked with God for a long time at that point. And all of a sudden now there was a challenge to God's will in his life. It wasn't finding it. God spoke to him. Again, just spoke to him directly. Abraham, give me your son, your only son whom you love. And you have to think about it, right? If you have to think, if you think, if you're like, how do I know if God spoke to me? Because you know he spoke to you. If you're questioning it, forget it. Right? Everybody who got spoken to by God, there was nobody in the Bible who was like, I wasn't sure. They got no. It, you'll know. Okay. That if you if you're not sure about the spiritual thing, then forget about it. Do do the really practical thing. He could speak to us, but do we have that heart that will say, All right, Lord. All right, Lord, I'm surrendered. Whatever you want from me. Trust God. He is going to see you through. He will give you his will. You will find it. He will find you, really, I guess is the better way to put it. There is not a single person in all the word of God. This, this is a helpful thought for me in life. 
I, it just dawned on me one day. I don't know why, but it's you know how those things go. It seems really simple. There wasn't a single person in all the Word of God who ever truly wanted God's will that didn't get it. Not one person. Not a single human being ever let down by him. Nobody that ever actually wanted God's will that didn't get it from him. And even most of the people who didn't want his will got it. And the problem was, when his will came, they rejected it, except now they're responsible. Because he made it clear to them. And it doesn't, it's not a confusion, it's disobedience at that point. And he warns them, don't ignore what I'm saying to you. It's not going to be easier if you think you can escape and go somewhere else. I'm saying this because I love you. Hear this admonishment. Find mercy in me. I'll end with this. Uh, just a testimony of God's faithfulness. Um, F.W. Borum was a pastor, late 1800s to mid-1900s. Uh, and he wrote this towards the end of his autobiography, which he called My Pilgrimage. He says this, In writing this, it is my heart to offer one modest word of personal testimony. My pilgrimage has taught me many things, but it has made nothing more clear than the fact that from those who humbly seek the leadership of the kindly light, kindly light is a reference to God, that pillar of cloud and fire, it's from a hymn. That from those who humbly seek the leadership of the kindly light, the divine guidance is never withheld. In the course of my life, I have had to make some momentous decisions, momentous to me. But looking back along the road, I can see now clearly that at every crisis, I was rightly led. Whenever the road forked, I heard a voice saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. God will lead you. Don't be afraid of that. He's going to show you what he wants. Don't be scared of that. The only thing we should be worried about is, man, Lord, when you do reveal who you are and what your will is, am I going to have a humble heart or am I going to have a hard heart? So let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. Um, I would encourage you, you know, if anybody's here tonight that, uh, is in a particular position where they really just need to trust the Lord or you're hanging on, like I said, till that last minute. The knife is in the air. All right, come down afterwards. Let us pray with you. Just ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. But he's going to be faithful. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you reveal who you are in your word. We thank you for the encouragements you give us. We thank you for the admonitions you give us. We thank you for your patience to walk with us. We thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering with us, that we worry about you when we should be worrying about ourselves. And um, we thank you, Lord, that we can trust that you'll keep us. And nothing's going to separate us from your love. So do allow us, Lord, to have humble hearts before you that we could say, like your son, um, not my will, but yours be done.
And we know we need that from you, Lord. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Mike Foch. If you enjoyed the message, you can access more of Pastor Mike's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.